Terry Finley turns racehorses into investment opportunities. As president and CEO of West Point Thoroughbreds in Saratoga Springs, New York, Finley buys promising colts and fillies, then offers other buyers something akin to shares in those horses, making ownership much more accessible. As an investment manager, Finley's got a strong track record, with four of his horses making it to the Kentucky Derby, including a win by Always Dreaming in 2017, and a run this year with my boy Jack, a horse he purchased a share in just a few days after this recording. In this episode of Skydeck, Associate Editor Julia Hanna speaks with Terry about what it felt like to be in the winner's circle with Always Dreaming, and what it takes to make it there. Where do you think your love of horses and of racing comes from? I used to go to the racetrack after school with my father on a regular basis, and all my brothers and sisters, actually four brothers, are in the construction business. They're all in the cement mason business and in the unions. I really kind of just saw the horse business as an alternative to get into the construction business because I used to see my brothers, they work so hard day after day. And I had a chance at 12 years old to work on a racehorse farm in uh, New Jersey. I think at that point, I really felt like if I got lucky in life and I was able to follow my dream that ultimately I'd be in the horse business. 12 is really young. What were you doing at the barn and and what did you love about it? I can tell you the things that I loved about it, I still love. One of the best things is that if you're on the backside of a racetrack, you go to the barn at about 11 o'clock and everything's cleaned up because at the racetrack, they do all the work from like 4.30 in the morning till about 10. And after 10 o'clock, all the horses, all the bandages are on and all the uh, the shed rows, you know, the, the area in front of the stalls are all raked and the feed is actually put into the stalls and everything's cleaned and all the leather and all the the saddles are cleaned. And you put all those, all the smells together and it's like a magical smell and it never changes, you know, because all the, all the ointments and, and the lotions they're all the same as they as they were, you know, 40 or 50 years ago. I'm guessing that you were probably part of making the barn clean, that you were picking stalls and stuff like that, which is pretty tough work, really. Well, I didn't answer the second part of that question, but you're exactly right. It's an amazing, uh, when you look at the economic impact and the number of people, I'll, I'll give you an example. In a New York State, the horse racing business They employ over 40,000 people, and the economic impact is above $5 billion every year. So it's an engine that really, I think, oftentimes is not brought to the attention of the public and of the uh, the legislatures and the politicians. But it's a huge engine that I believe is just getting bigger and bigger. But a big part of that are the people that are on the ground. And, you know, you look at a place like Saratoga, where I'm from, every summer, the population increases by probably about tenfold. And it's it's an amazing driver and the lasting effect, even after the horses go. And last year, your horse, always dreaming that you own a share in, won the Kentucky Derby. Can you walk us through that time from the moment you first saw Always Dreaming to when you were in the winner's circle at Churchill Downs? What was involved along the way? And did you ever have any doubts that you would get there? I will say from a global perspective that the horse racing business is really based on hopes and dreams. 
Yeah. And everybody knows that. Uh, you know, there are people who come in on a regular basis and they try to apply a business model. There is no business model that you can apply to the racehorse business because you're dealing you know, with the thoroughbred racehorse and you're dealing with jockeys and trainers and other people who take care of your horses. So, yeah, you try to run it as much like a business as possible, but to think that you're going to apply a model to it, you're in the wrong business. You need to go do something else. And certainly the derby is the pinnacle. And you know, people that get into the business in a substantive way, if you ask them you know, what their goal is and what their dream is, you know, 98% of them will tell you that my dream is to stand in the winter circle late in the afternoon of the first Saturday in May at a racetrack by the name of Churchill Downs. I look at always dreaming. We had run against him last spring at the beginning of March, and we finished fourth to him. And he won by about 10 lengths in the race that we competed against him in Florida. And he probably could have won by 25 lengths. And I was so impressed because he's you know, not a big strapping horse. He's not a horse that you would think, wow, that looks like a derby horse. But there was an elegance to him that I couldn't get out of my mind. And, you know, one thing led to another. And I'm, I'm good friends with the two gentlemen that owned him and that bought him uh, at the point where he was about 18 months old as a yearling in Kentucky. And everything just fell into place. You know, they put an ungodly high number on him in terms of valuation. And I had a partner, you know, that when I told him the number, I felt certain that he would say, well, we'll find another one. And the first thing he said was, get the deal done. On in line, ready for the start. They're off in the Kentucky Derby. Always dreaming's going out to the lead with State of Honor. He's sitting pretty. He's sitting pretty. Oh, he's sitting. They're going to have a tough time with him. As they turn for home, and it is always dreaming in front. Hey, Johnny! Hey, Johnny! Oh, my God! They're coming to the line, and the dream comes true. Always dreaming has won the Kentucky Derby. The Kentucky Derby is often called the most exciting two minutes in sports, and I've always wanted to go myself, but I've never been. Can you give a sense of some of the sights and smells and sensations of that day, just as you know, someone who might just go on their own, maybe not have a horse in the race? It's on a lot of bucket lists. On Saturday morning, right, you wake up and you can just feel it, and every hotel for 50 miles around the city is packed with people that have come in to be at the Kentucky Derby. So you know, you'll see all kinds of colors of hats and you know, men that are dressed up in their best suits and all the shoes are shined and everybody you know, from that point, they get into cars or Ubers or buses or anything else to get them the Churchill Downs. And then you, and then you get a chance. They, the races, they usually start about 11 o'clock. You're in a position where every 30 minutes, right, they'll run a race and every 30 minutes, you can just feel the intensity, the drama, and the noise level increase. The Derby is at about 6.30 every year. It's amazing. It goes from every 30 minutes to about every 10 minutes. You can just feel and experience and hear the decibel level increase. And when they come onto the racetrack and they, and they sing My Old Kentucky Home, Probably about 80% of the people are crying. It takes your breath away when you, when you know that the same song has been sung you know, for over 100 years 
10 minutes before the Kentucky Derby. And you get a shot to see the horses. And I really believe that they know that they're ready to do something special. And there's going to be one out of 20 that is going to do something really special. And the jockeys are the same way. There are some jocks that will ride in the 2018 Kentucky Derby that have done it you know, 20 times. And there are others that will be doing it for the first time. So I love to see the faces of those jocks, right? Because even the newbies, they want to convey that they're calm, cool, and collected. But you know that their hearts are beating at 200 beats a minute and their stomach are tied in knots. Right, but they all have a job to do, and they have to do it you know, from the point they spring the latch to the starting gate until they cross the wire about two minutes later. And that really encompasses the slogan and the saying, which I think is very accurate, that the Kentucky Derby is the greatest two minutes in sports. Tell us about your Philly Coach Rocks, who's going to be in the Kentucky Oaks, which is, I guess, a mile and an eighth for three-year-old Phillies. What's special about this horse, and how do you like her chances? I'll reiterate, I'm biased, right? You have to be biased in the horse business. And right, your horse that you're, you're buying or selling or you're racing is always the best. You know, she had an okay year as a two-year-old in uh, 17. All of a sudden, at the beginning of the year, she just kind of put everything together. So she's kind of like, you know, the fifth-round draft pick in the NFL who, after two years— puts everything together, and then is an MVP and a Pro Bowl player. And that's the analogy I garner with her. She broke her maiden after, I think, six or seven starts. All of a sudden, everything changed. You know, she was a different filly. She was eating better. You know, she had a lot more confidence. And after she broke her maiden, they put her into a really big stake race about three weeks ago at uh, Gulfstream Park that was a final prep for the Kentucky Oaks. And she really blew them away and ran so well that people are talking about Coach Rocks as being in a position where she has a legitimate shot to win the Kentucky Oaks. Now, there may be some listeners out there who are interested in horse racing, but believe it is beyond their financial means. And I wondered if you can describe sort of the nitty gritty details of how the racing partnerships that you create at West Point Thoroughbreds work. Yes. And I say to the vast majority of people, the way our business has evolved and our industry has progressed, there are very few people who are are not in a position to invest in in a horse. I mean, you can get into a piece of a horse for a couple thousand dollars. Oh, that was one of my questions. Okay. So you compare and contrast it. Back in the 50s, 60s, and the first part of the 70s, what you had were a lot of families, old money, old families, the Phippses and the Mellons and the Vanderbilts. And so they individually, a single owner would have, you know, 50 horses. Well, now there are 10 owners in on a single horse. And so that's really changed the dynamic. You know, you can't buy into a piece of the Yankees or the Patriots or the Phillies or, you know, any other professional sports team. But you can buy into a professional sports team by buying into a piece of a racehorse. There are people that we have that are partners with us who invest, you know, a couple hundred thousand, but there are there are plenty that invest ten or twelve or fifteen thousand. And the real key is the horses don't know what it they cost at auction. And we buy almost all of our horses at auction. When they get on the racetrack, they're all equal until they're not. And that's what I'll say. They're they're all good and they're all talented until they're not, until they prove that they're just not up to their peers. 
Yeah, and I don't mean to put you on the spot. You can answer this as you wish, but you know, Always Dreaming, I read, was uh, purchased for $350,000, I think, at Keeneland, which is a sale where they sell quite a few yearlings. And then you bought into the horse a while later, and then the horse won the Kentucky Derby. The horse was doing pretty well when you bought into it. How much did you have to invest, and do you feel like you got a return on investment from that? Yes. There are a lot of horses that don't turn out the way we think they are. And that's really for two reasons. On one side, they're just not as good as we think they are because you know they just don't run to their pedigree or their athleticism because in a lot of cases, they don't have quite the courage that they need to be competitive against their peers. And the other side is they get hurt. You know, They are fragile and they get hurt on, on a regular basis. The industry overall, we're doing a better and better job in the attempt and the pursuit to keep our horses you know, healthy and on the racetrack. But every once in a while, you get the $300,000 horse that turns into a $5 million purchase that does well and then is sold as a stallion prospect you know, for $12 million. Those are the kind of multiples that you're looking at with a horse like Always Dreaming. You, know, you just don't see that as often as you'd like because it's a numbers game. There's only a single colt that's going to win the Derby and a single filly that's going to win the Oaks out of about 22,000 that were born in 2015 when this crop and class of three-year-olds were foaled all over the world. So the numbers are against you to even get to the starting gate. They're certainly against you to get to the winner's circle, but that's all part of the magic and the mystique of this incredible business that we all love. Skydeck is produced by the External Relations Department at Harvard Business School and edited by Craig McDonald. It is available at iTunes or wherever you get your favorite podcasts. For more information or to find archived episodes, visit alumni.hbs.edu slash skydeck.